Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. With that, please uh, remain standing as we read our scripture. From the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. Paul writes in the Spirit, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we pray your spirit be powerful this morning, that your spirit be upon me to purify my speech, to make it clear, to make it persuasive, and to be accompanied, most of all, by him who pierces hearts, who searches hearts, who brings life and repentance. Father, I pray for each of us today to welcome the Holy Spirit's work upon us as we receive your holy word as we reflect upon the good news that the offspring of Abraham has come to us in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, again, welcome. We're in the second week of Advent. And this Advent, we have been focused on that scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, which tells us, to us, a son is given. And we have been taking that phrase from Isaiah and looking at how that phrase has been really the salvation history that God has put in his scripture from the very beginning until the coming of Christ. To us, a son is given, is promised to us first to Adam and Eve in the garden, where after their fall, they are told that an offspring will come from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And this week we see that to us a son is given, comes to Abraham, who though he is childless, trusts the promise that he will have a child. Next week we will see that to us a son is given, comes to Israel. And after that we will see to us a son is given, comes to David. And so we are going to see each week how God has fulfilled and enlarged this great promise to us, a son is given. Last week we saw that in the giving of the son, we receive a gift that Adam, though he fell because God promised to us a son is given, God provided a new son of Adam, a second Adam, who accomplishes the righteousness 
that we have lost. And so last week we celebrated the gift that Jesus is the son of Adam that gives us our righteousness back. This week, we turn to the story of Abraham. And we will see that Jesus is the son of Abraham. And because Jesus is the promised son of Abraham, we rejoice at Christmas in the gift of God's grace. So as we get ready to to consider the gift of God's grace, let me ask you, a question that I'm sure you're asking yourself at least once every day right now. Are you ready for Christmas? Are are you ready for Christmas? Christmas is coming. It's less than two weeks away. Are you ready for Christmas? I mean, we have Christmas. It's it's the best time of the year for me. It's it's the the year of, of great fun. I mean, the, the fun that we have at Christmas, the things that we, we do, the decorations uh, are the best. Christmas is the time of year that we, that we re- rehearse and recite all of our favorite, cherished traditions. I mean, Christmas is, is a special time. There's no getting around it. I think uh, even, even unbelievers, even people who haven't woken up yet this morning, uh, are still enjoying the season of Christmas. But also with Christmas, we have to admit that that question, are you ready for Christmas, doesn't just bring to us the excitement. Also within it lays, oh my goodness, this is a stressful time. There is a lot to do, to get done. There are so many expectations. I mean, what what happens if we can't get that Christmas tradition done this year? Uh, The expectations of making our Christmas special are sky high. And then we also have to admit that just as Christmas brings a focus on so much joy, for many of us, it brings out a lot of sorrow. It brings out the sorrow of what we don't have, of who we are not with of what we lack, of what we can't afford. And so a lot of that stuff comes. And the question, are you ready for Christmas, stirs all of that up. When we ask the question, are you ready for Christmas, it has within it this this concession, this, this, this tell that we are not celebrating Christmas as the gift of grace. Because in the gift of grace, we celebrate it's been done, not I have to do. And that is what I want us to focus on today. I want us to reclaim the gift of grace at Christmas. Advent is a gift that we all need, whether you are struggling with stress or you are struggling with your limitations, or you are beset with sorrows, let today's message be a gift that you genuinely open, that you experience the gift of grace. Because this week we celebrate that Abraham's son has come. The promised son has come, and in him the gift of grace is ours. I want us to see what it 
means to receive the gift of grace through three areas that we can rejoice this Christmas. We are going to see that we can rejoice because we are free of external expectations. We can rejoice because we are set free from internal limitations. And finally, we can rejoice because we are saved by God's gift. We are going to see this as we look at this passage in Galatians, this letter from Paul. Let us look at this first place to rejoice. We are set free from external expectations. Now, the book of Galatians is an amazing book. It is written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul is writing to a church, to a group of people he has shared the gospel with, that he has planted a church there. He has preached the gospel of grace. He has given them the gift of grace, and they have received it heartily. But as he has left and gone on to plant other churches, he came and heard the news that that church that he planted in Galatia has started to add to the gospel other expectations. A group of people that are uh, by shorthand called the Judaizers have come to Galatia after Paul, and they have said, you know, in addition to the, to the gift of grace, if you really want to enjoy the salvation of God, if you really want to be God's people, there are some requirements in God's law that you need to add to that. Specifically, you need to receive circumcision. And so there was this big uh, uh, group of people called the Circumcision Party. does not sound like a party I ever want to go to. (laughs) But there was a group uh, called the Circumcision Party, and they were coming around behind Paul saying, add to the gospel circumcision if you really want to be saved. And Paul's letter to the Galatians was, No, you cannot do that. To do that will destroy the gift of grace. And he writes one of the most passionate letters that we have in Scripture, speaking very sternly and and, uh, abruptly and and boldly. And he says to to the Galatians in chapter 5, these are the stakes. He says in chapter 5 these words, Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You see, Paul recognizes that when these Judaizers come in and say there are things that you need to add to the grace of God, that if you add anything to the grace of God, you lose entirely the message of grace. Let me put it to you in in mathematical terms. Imagine that your salvation is this equation. Justification, being right with God, equals faith in Christ, and circumcision, and some requirement, some good deed. Let's suppose that that is what the equation is. That is what the the Judaizers were coming and saying. To be justified, to be righteous, to have salvation, you need faith in Christ. Nobody's going to argue against that. But let's also say you have to add 
some other requirement. What happens when you put the addition mark in salvation? When you say it is also something else? I mean, simple math tells you that if you have an addition, if you have to put two things together to equal the same sum, you have made each individual part worth less. Correct? So by adding something to the message that you are saved in Christ is to make Christ worth less. The value of Christ in your salvation goes down as you say you must add other requirements, other expectations. Now here's the thing, it gets really fuzzy. How much does Christ go down? You have no idea. Once you say you have to add something to Christ to be justified before God, you have no way of knowing how much extra stuff you have to do. And so your heart lacks any peace, any assurance, any certainty that you are saved because the question in justification equals faith plus something is how much something and have I done enough? And so, if you're racked with, have I done enough? You have destroyed the gift of grace. You have lost entirely what it means to be saved by Christ alone. Because Paul wants us to know you are saved because of what Christ has done, full stop. Justification is faith in Christ alone. You meet that, and there is nothing else to be added. And so what is happening in the Judaizers is all of these Galatian people, all of his beloved people are becoming enslaved by all these other expectations and requirements. Now I want us to think about our modern Christmases in light of what was happening in Galatia. And I'm going to start with a caveat. There's a lot of great traditions. I don't have any problem with our our traditions and the beloved things that we like to do. And uh, I I think to the extent that that, uh, you're able to, to, to participate in those things, have as much fun as you can. But sometimes I look at the Christmases that we really cherish and what makes Christmas really special to us. And I wonder if the Galatian tendency of adding to the gift of grace lives in us. Here's what I mean. We come to Christmas and and we want to make it more special. We want to make it even bigger. We we want more stuff under the tree. We want uh, more experiences. And so to Christmas we find ourselves adding X, Y, and Z. We find that Griswold spirit from Christmas Vacation where you're seeking to have the best ever family Christmas that there ever was. And then you find out that you are full of stress, that you are full of busyness, that what takes over our Christmases is the the mentality that I have to get this all done. And no longer are we sitting around resting and what has already been done for us. I mean, this comes out in, in my own family history. Every, every year we would have uh, one side of the family got together on Christmas Eve, and the other side of the family got together on Christmas. 
And so we would go to that Christmas Eve party, and we'd have this wonderful meal prepared by one of my grandparents, and we'd have the presents. And then about 7 o'clock would start approaching, and the question would come up, are we going to go to the Christmas Eve service this year? With a question like, we can't fit the Christmas Eve service in. We've got more presents. We've got dessert. We've got all kinds of stuff that has to get done in our family traditions and our family celebration. And so I sadly admit more times than not, we talked ourselves out of going to church to celebrate Christmas with the people of God. You see, there's the Galatian tendency right there. Do I have room for the Christmas Eve service with all of my traditions? The gift of grace is shoved out as we elevate our materialism and our excesses and all of our personal traditions that we think are what make Christmas special. Paul in Galatians wants to call us back to the primacy and the sufficiency of grace. That is why he says in verse 17, this is what I mean. The law, the expectations, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Paul wants to remind his, his, his dear friends the church in Galatia, that when the Judaizers come in and start adding all of these requirements, they're adding requirements that are grounded in the law. And that law came 430 years after God made this promise to Abraham. And that's important. The law does not take the place of the promise. The law's purpose is something other than how we are justified. And because the law came later and God's word of a promise was made earlier, God's word cannot change by the law. So the promise cannot be canceled by these other things in the law. Paul wants us to go back to the primacy and sufficiency of grace. You see, God made a covenant with Abraham, and we understand what a covenant is. A covenant is a promise. Now, if you make a promise, and then you come back a couple days later and say, uh, to that promise, I want to make a couple provisos, a couple exceptions, a couple limitations, a couple uh, uh, modifications, addendums, and amendments. Well, then your promise isn't really anything at all. A promise is a promise because we can trust in it that it will not change. That's true on the human level. That's what it tells us in verse 15. It's even more true of the promises that God makes. And God has made a promise that he will provide for Abraham, not by what he does, but by grace alone. So we rejoice because of God's promise to Abraham. We have the gift of grace, and that gift of grace frees us from every external expectation in the law or elsewhere. What does this mean for us at Christmas? I I think it's great news to remember this at Christmas. It means this. Because of the gift of grace, it's okay not to spend every dollar. It's okay not to make the perfect meal. It's okay not to do every tradition 
Listen, the gift of grace is an invitation to rest in Christ and to enjoy him simply, without clutter, without stress and anxiety, just him. Let me read a story from the Gospel of Luke. I want you to think, does this capture the tension in your Christmas? Luke chapter 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Do you see the two Christmases? The Christmas that races to get it all done, and the Christmas that rests in the one who's got it all finished? Are we busy doing Martha Christmas when the gift is you get to have a merry Christmas? You get to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive what he has done for you. What do you need to choose the good portion this year? What do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to what Jesus has done for you? What do you need to do to help the Marthas around you experience the good portion? Could you go to your mother or your sister or whoever is in charge of the meal and give them permission? It doesn't need to be that fancy. I just want to be with you. Can you talk to this ever-increasing list of gift givers and gift receivers and say, you know what? I just want you. I don't want another thing. I don't want another present. I want you. That would share the gift of grace, that it is not a race. It is a rest in Christ. But what about those this Christmas who feel left out? It's not about getting the perfect Christmas. It's the fact that as Christmas comes around, it's already ruined. My heart is already broken. I am already aware of all that I lack, all that I don't have, all that I am not fulfilled. What do we say? To those. Because Christmas can expose our limits and our failures. What we lack gets magnified. 
If it's our lack of money or it's our lack of, of a loved one or a person to love. If it's a lack of friends, if it's the lack of success, we all come to the end of the year and we know our New Year's resolutions are absolutely in the trash can. Another year, we just got older and not any better. That grind comes to a head at Christmas. But that is why the gift of grace gives us another thing to rejoice in. We are able to rejoice because we are also free of internal limitations. We are free from internal limitations. Because you know who's the person that had the most awful internal limitation is, is, is Abraham. Abraham is, is, is the person who was given this, this great promise that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You'll be a, a great person. You'll be the, the father of nations. You're going to be awesome. And every year comes around and he doesn't even have a kid. He hasn't one child, let alone a multitude. He's getting older. He's nearly 100 years old. He's being told these these words that you're going to have children, but he knows. I've been with Sarah for 70 years. Some point you figure out it's not going to work. Something's broken here. There's a biological limitation, and there is nothing that Abraham and Sarah can do to have children. Paul summarized Abraham and Sarah in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. He said that Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Nobody in this room is nearly 100 years old. But casting forward a little bit, I can see how dead Adam probably looked. That was ornery. As good as dead. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I mean, never, never even a question, are we pregnant? Just barren. I mean, there, there's total limitations there. Abraham is, is hit year in and year out with the message of can't. Can't. There's a limitation. He can't do it. He can't experience the blessing of God because he can't even have a child. See, Abraham knows the pain of an internal limitation, the sense of lacking and not having any power to do anything about it. That's Abraham's story. And so he comes after years and years and years of bearing this this pain. And that's where we find in our Advent reading these words in Genesis 15. He says, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Do you hear the pain? as he has seen himself swallowed up in his biological limitations. He is powerless 
to attain the blessing. And that is where a lot of us are on Christmas morning. Where's this happy Christmas? It's so far from me. But Paul, in our passage in Galatians, reminds us that the words that God gave to Abraham and to your offspring is not a requirement. It's a promise that God made to Abraham. It is a promise that God will provide. It is his word that you will have an offspring, not your job to figure out how you're going to get one. It is God's word that answers Abraham's limitation. God opened Sarah's womb. It is because God is not limited that when we come to Christmas suffering from all our internal limitations that we can rejoice because this is the good news. This is the good news. God gives us what he requires from us. God said, Abraham, you need an offspring. And God gave Abraham the offspring. God gives what he requires from us. Oh, this is such good news. I mean, friends, is the good news only for those who are able? Is the good news only for those who can? No, thank God. The good news is for those who can't. The good news is for those who aren't able. The good news is for everyone who struggles with limitations. It is for those who aren't able. Go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. We are told a leper, someone who has no chance of a happy fellowship or community or worship, a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing... You can make me clean. You can make me whole. But it's only if you are willing because I am so stricken and limited. But verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be healed. And the limitation was gone. And when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in chapter Luke, in chapter in Luke chapter four, verse eighteen, he speaks to all of us with internal limitations, which if we are honest, is every one of us. We are all in bondage to sin. We are all blind. We are all dead in trespasses. But this is the good news. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Rejoice. That's the good news. It's not that you're able. It's not that you can. It's that he will, by his promise, do what you need to be saved. Rejoice. God's grace frees you from internal limitations. But you may still be asking, you know, I understand the grace and the salvation and I understand heaven, but today, this Christmas still hurts. I still lack. I'm still without. I'm still in the sorrow in the pit. Can God's grace really free you from what you lack? Yes. And that is what we see in our third rejoicing. Point three, rejoice. We are saved by God's gift. We are saved by God's gift. Paul says, as he concludes his argument in Galatians verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul's point, salvation is not earned. No possible way to earn it. Salvation is not earned. There are no requirements that you can meet. It is given. It is given by God's promise. And that word given, to be a little bit of a nerd with the grammar, is in the middle perfect. Here's what that means. In the middle means it's It's within. It's upon himself. The entire will and desire and plan to save is all in God. It's not that he's looking at you and trying to find something worthy about you. It's that his heart is in itself willing to make you saved. And by perfect, it means it is complete It is full. It is irrevocable. It goes on and on and on without end. It is an eternal promise. It is from within. It is full. It is established. It cannot change. We are saved, in other words, by grace. This is the gift of grace, as the the theologian Thomas Schreiner summarized it. The law says... Do this. The gospel says, accept this. Accept this. It has been done. And that promise that God gave to Abraham, who could not have a child of his own, is illustrated in Genesis 15.5. He brought Abram outside after he complained and said, look toward heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. This is God's grace. What Abraham can't do, couldn't do in a million years. He is given freely. The grace is a God-sized gift. If you can count the stars... You can know how big my promise to you is. But you are even limited in the one thing you can do. 
Because you don't have an infinite ability to count the stars. But my grace, my promise is as big as I am. And you don't earn it. You just accept it. And then when we get to Galatians, we discover that this conversation, this magnificent promise that God gave to Abraham, he has given to us because Paul recognizes that in those words, and to your offspring, God was speaking of an individual, not just Isaac, but a particular son, a particular offspring. And we know from the genealogy of Abraham that through Abraham comes Jesus. And so Jesus, and so Paul declares in Galatians, verse 16, and to your offspring is pointing to Christ. The offspring that is actually promised there is Christ. And so this is good news to all of us because the offspring that has come is Christ. Jesus is God's fulfilled word to Abraham, the son that makes Abraham's descendants as countless as the stars. How do we find that? Turn the page in Galatians to chapter 3, verse 29, where we are told if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, the promise that God gave to Abraham was the promise that he would bring the Christ, that all who accept the Christ have all that God offers, all that God provides. All of Christ's people become Abraham's offspring. That means... Here at Christmas, the biggest gift that you receive cannot fit under your tree because the sons of Abraham are you and I in Christ. And the son of Abraham, Christ, makes us heirs of a God-sized gift. And what is that gift? Well, that's where the words the familiar words from the Gospel of Matthew should ring in our ears. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's the gift of grace. What bigger thing could God give? What is more God-sized than God himself? The gift of grace is that we have God with us. This is how we are freed from everything that we lack when we take hold of the fact that, yes, I don't have this or I can't do this, but I do have God with me. If God is with you, what can you lack? What can be greater than that? What can satisfy you more than that? What can give you more joy and comfort and peace than that? The gift of grace 
is God with us. You belong to God. And God belongs to you. You have an eternal, joyous union with the God who created and placed the stars. You lack nothing when you open the gift of God's grace. So how do you open this precious gift? How do you have this gift for yourself? That is where Genesis 15, 6, some of the sweetest words of the Bible must ring in our ears. When Abraham looked at this God-sized gift, he responded this way. He believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. How do we receive this God-sized gift? By faith alone. We believe the promise. We believe in the promised son of Abraham, Christ. And if we believe, if all we do is believe the promise, then all the gift is ours. There is nothing added. It is simply Believe my word. Believe in God's promise of Christ, and you are heirs. The gift of grace, the gift at Christmas is there's no do this to have a great Christmas. It's accept this. And what could be better? What could be fuller than what you are given by grace? To us, a son is given. Abraham's son has come. We have freedom from external expectations. We have freedom from internal limitations. And we are saved entirely, fully, perfectly, and completely by grace. Rejoice. Rejoice. Christmas is not about what we must do. It is what God has done for us. So let me finish by asking us one more time to apply the Lord's words to Martha to ourselves. Again, Luke 10, 41. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. As we think about the question, are you ready for Christmas? Let me just ask you this. Have you chosen the good portion? Focus on Christ. And you will have all you need this Christmas and always. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.